one of the things that I came to realize for myself is you don't have any control over that. You are asking questions that literally cannot be answered. Nobody can answer it for you. Nobody can tell you if it's going to spread. Nobody can tell you if you'll be in another relationship or if you won't. Nobody can tell you if somebody's going to not like you because of vitiligo or if they're going to not like you because, you know, you're, they don't like women who are 5'2". I mean, it's a whole list of reasons. And so, again, as I started really peeling my own thoughts back, I started to then think about, okay, what rules do I want to live by? most for women everywhere is to stop playing small and step into your unique power so you can finally show up as the biggest, fullest, and truest version of you. But that means you first got to get crystal clear about who you are so you can then let go of everything that you're not. I'm here to teach you how to know yourself, trust yourself, and honor yourself so you can create a deeply aligned, deeply empowered, deeply sacred, and deeply inspiring life. You know, the one you were actually sent here to have. Come on, let me show you how. Welcome to Sodeca. Piggybacking off of last week, I want to start by talking about self-trust because it is the fundamental issue that I think women have when we are trying to fit into these boxes and fit into molds and buy rules that were not made for us, we're doing that because we don't fundamentally trust ourselves. We have placed more value you know, in the things and people and systems outside of us than we do on what is going on inside. And so again, we don't feel like we can trust what we know or trust what we're feeling or trust what we're thinking. And it's like this really beautiful day in Atlanta and it's a Sunday and I was moving around the house and kind of started to get some downloads about how I wanted to put this episode together and like making a Google Doc with these little ideas and trying to, you know, put arrows between how these things connect. And then I was like, you know what? I got a download that just told me, no, use yourself as an example and talk about this from a very personal point. So that is what I will do. So I want to talk about self-trust as it relates to vitiligo and my own personal self-trust journey. So those of you who don't know and who have never seen me before, I experience vitiligo, I will say it that way. And vitiligo is an autoimmune disease that attacks the skin cells, uh, the pigment in your skin and turns it white. So it is what Michael Jackson had. Um, I think I said it was an autoimmune disease. And Um, They don't know how it starts. They don't really, you know, I mean, of course, autoimmune, so they can say stress and certain things, but there's no clear delineation of like, this is how you get it and this is how it goes away. And when you first start to see it, nobody can tell you, is it going to expand? Is it not? Some people get it. I know somebody I'm friends with on Instagram, she has it. And I think she's got like, you know, four or five, a couple patches on her skin. I have it everywhere. And I didn't grow up like this. That's one of the things that, you know, people meet me now and they only know this version of Deka. And so they don't realize that I didn't have this growing up. Nobody in my family has it. And I always think about myself having lived two lives, like the life before vitiligo and the life after. And so 
it started to appear, I think that was 2016 when my dad died or 20, 2017. And it started to appear a couple of months after he died. And it was just a small, like little white spot on my stomach. I didn't even really notice it because of course, being black, there's like hyperpigmentation, hypopigmentation. So, you know, your skin just kind of changes. But then it started to get bigger and bigger. And then, you know, I went to the dermatologist and I remembered that whole, that was just like the worst that day because he didn't have any answers. He couldn't answer my questions. I am a woman who loves questions because I love to understand how things are connected and how they work. And, you know, he couldn't tell me if it was going to spread. He couldn't tell me if it would get quote unquote worse, you know, couldn't tell me what to do to make it stop. He really couldn't tell me anything. And so I left there definitely feeling disempowered and worried. And I was, um, how old was I at the time? Maybe 27, something like that, 27, 28. And at the time I wasn't, you know, really anchored in my purpose. I think I was already doing design by that point, but there wasn't anything that I was like, you know, deeply, incredibly, (laughs) super, super tied to, I mean, of course, I'm looking at this point, looking back. So I don't think I felt that way at the time. But from my vantage point now being 41, as I look back, I'm like, ah, you weren't really connected to anything. But what vitiligo did was really shift kind of, it really kind of rocked my foundation because it's like, if your whole thing has been, oh, your hair so beautiful and your skin so beautiful and you've got this great body and for the sake of conversation, we're saying all of that goes away, then what are you without that? And this was all a process for me that I went through internally. Nobody walked me through it. Again, I've always definitely been inquisitive, but as I started to grapple with my feelings and what was happening and, you know, I'm having these negative thoughts and it's like, did I do something that caused this? Is this my fault? And, you know, if you're the spiritual community. There are some people who believe that like everything has a cause and there must be something underlying some, you know, unresolved trauma or emotion that's trapped in your body that caused this. And, you know, so then I was in that camp for a while trying to figure out what I did and how I could release it. And again, just as I started to really face myself and be honest about what I was thinking of like, oh, is anybody ever going to love me? And, you know, what if it's all over my body? What am I going to do then? Am I going to be alone? And at the time I had a boyfriend and he was super supportive and was just always like, you know, this is nothing. And, you know, people who I knew would say this phrase, which is really rude. um, (laughs) FYI, don't say it to people, but it's like, oh, you're beautiful anyway. Like, yeah, that's not a compliment. Or people would be like, oh, you know, it's not cancer or it's not this or that. And, you know, clearly I'm the person experiencing it. I understand that. But there also is absolutely a psychological component that goes along with it. And it is jarring and what's the other word? Frightening and just scary as shit to like see your body change before your eyes in a way that you can't control. And again, we're not talking about pregnancy or something that I like intentionally did, you know, to bring this on. And I know other people who are experiencing whether that's different autoimmune diseases or just different diseases can definitely understand and empathize what I'm saying. But it's just until you have walked in those shoes, it, you know, I would say it's a mind fuck, but I really think that it's just a great, it became a really great opportunity for me to start examining what I believe. And so I was not intending to go on a self-trust journey. I was not 
trying to figure out how I could trust myself more. But as I was trying to come to grips and understand what I believed about the vitiligo, that is kind of what it left me in the end. So a couple of things that the vitiligo brought up. One thing that I always say, if I've, you know, coached with you, or if you've coached with me, I should say, or we've had like some private conversations, I do because I am, you know, God is a foundation for me, spirituality is a foundation for me. So I do bring things back to theology. And the vitiligo definitely had me kind of shook up my theology in a way that I was thinking, okay, if you believe in a God that punishes, like, you know, you're saying you don't, but then in your mind, you keep telling yourself you're being punished or you did something wrong. Eh, That's a misalignment of theology. You're going to have to, you know, figure out how to make what you believe and how you are behaving converge and, you know, become congruent with one another. Then the other things, it just started to be of like, okay, what rules do I then want to live by? Because there's all this stuff around, well, do I show it? Well, people are going to be staring at me. I remember it used to be the scariest thing for me to go to the grocery store. And, you know, for a while I was trying to hide it. So you couldn't see it when it was on my back and you couldn't see it when it was on my stomach. But when it spread to my shoulders, you could kind of see it. And of course, what happens is when you are afraid of something and you are, you know, fearing something in your body, you're fearing something about yourself, or you think something is ugly about you, we'll just even take it really down and say it that way. If you think something is ugly about you, then you are looking to see who else is affirming that belief in you, if that makes sense. So it's like, whatever belief you hold, especially generally, if it's negative about you, you're going to go out in the world and look to for evidence that you are correct. And so, you know, I would go out to the store and you know, I'm looking around to see who's looking and it's like, oh, there, look, the person in the frozen food aisle was staring and the little kid was doing this and that. And, you know, it kind of cracks me up now because I don't notice, very rarely do I notice that shit at all. But again, this was like really early stages. And so as I would like come home and again, I'm like, you know, I always say there's two dekas, there's the, which we all have, like your higher, you know, your highest self. And then the very like ego grounded centered that's like, I'm never going to find anybody and nobody's ever going to love me again. And this is going to be the last person I'm ever going to be with. And, you know, what am I going to do with this? And what if people think I'm ugly and just all of that? And one of the things that I came to realize for myself is you don't have any control over that. You are asking questions that literally cannot be answered. Nobody can answer it for you. Nobody can tell you if it's going to spread. Nobody can tell you if you'll be in another relationship or if you won't. Nobody can tell you if somebody's going to not like you because of vitiligo or if they're going to not like you because, you know, you're, they don't like women who are five too. I mean, it's a whole list of reasons. And so, again, as I started really peeling my own thoughts back, I started to then think about, okay, what rules do I want to live by? And it is very fascinating. I will pat myself on the back and say, it is really incredible for me at this age to now look back and be like, damn, that's a lot of self-reflection that you were able to do in terms of bringing to the surface negative thoughts that I had about myself and what was happening to my body and what it was going to mean. And then on the other hand, being able to poke holes in that and to be able to call myself out and to say, you know, well, if you think that you are serving a God who punishes you and nobody's ever going to want to be with you again, and, you know, this is just going to be it, and you're 27 years old, then you might as well kill yourself. And this is not, this is not 
a directive for me to tell anybody else to go do that. I'm simply sharing my own internal dialogue about what I was experiencing and I was feeling at that time. And, you know, then as I was walking myself through that and I'm like, yeah, I'm not about to kill myself. Like that's not even that kind of extreme thinking for me sometimes is very good to be able to shake me up. I can bottom line something. And when I can give an extreme thought of like, okay, well, if you just want to give up then give up and you might as well just get up out of here and try again in the next life. And it's like, no, I don't really want to do that either. And I'm like, okay, Deka, if you don't want to do that, then you are going to have to pull up some beliefs that align with what it is that you want to do and how it is that you want to be and live in the world. And so that's what I started doing. And so, you know, I keep talking about these rules. So one of the things became like, so what are the rules do I want to live by? And I was really clear that I didn't want to have to hide my body. And so as difficult and challenging that being in this body with vitiligo was and seeing it again kind of spread and spread, there was also a thing where like, I knew that I wanted to be the kind of woman who was confident to go out and let other people see it. I wanted people to be able to see me and again, see me as a source of inspiration and not me kind of hiding. I don't like myself when I'm like really insecure and I don't, it's just, I don't show up as the best version of myself. And, you know, then I'm trying to like pull the collar of my shirt up to make sure nobody sees it. And then I'm so focused on that. I can't be, it's like, "Ah, I don't want to be that version of Deka. And so what I would start doing, and I always think about there's a, there used to be a Publix up the street from Publix is a grocery store in in Georgia, or I guess the South, um, uh, Southern US that was up the street from my house. And so the little first baby steps I started taking was going to the grocery store and maybe just wearing a tank top. And it was just, I mean, (laughs) again, it's really funny now, but at the time, those were like the little ways for me to put my foot in the pool of like, Deka, just go to the grocery store. You're not going to die. It'll be a 30 minute thing. Go in there. You know, and at first it was, again, I'm looking to see who's watching. Then after a while, it became a thing where I didn't even notice. And then the cashiers, you know, know me. And then one cashier had vitiligo. So she would come over and, you know, show me. And then, you know, step by step, it became something that I was able to embrace. And then I was able to move, you know, from a radius around my house to being able to go to design events and different things where I could show my body. But that was one of the fundamental rules that I was clear about as I was processing my own experience was like, if this is going to be what it is, I don't want to have to hide my body in a turtleneck for the rest of my life because I'm embarrassed to be seen. Yes, this might be challenging. I might be grieving. This is not how I thought my story was going to go. I did not volunteer for this. I wouldn't you know, if I had to put my hand in the bag and choose, like I wouldn't have wanted to choose it. But at the same time, you know, I do believe like this is what you got. So if this is the body and the vehicle and the vessel that you have showed up to this lifetime with, then whatever you are supposed to do in this world is intricately tied to how you look. So, and again, that's a belief for me. So if I fundamentally believe that, then you can't walk around hiding who you are. So that was one thing. One rule was I was really clear that I wanted to show my body. The second rule was as it started happening to me, and again, I'm, you know, all these things, the relationship, myself, you know, and I'm kind of like, well, damn, did you, I'm questioning myself, like, you think all your value was tied up in having you know, beautiful skin and great hair. And I wasn't, I'm not, I didn't lose my hair. So I don't even know why I keep saying that. I think it was just probably part of the whole package in my mind 
of like, oh, it's cute body and, you know, beautiful skin and great hair. And now that you don't have that, you don't have anything to offer the world. Like, you sound crazy. And again, this is the two dakas in my mind that are like, girl, shut up. You sound insane. So is this what you thought you were really going to do the rest of your life? Just try to find something to do like with your body and showing your skin, which made no sense because it's not like I was a dancer or something before. But again, the when we are in a panic mode and extreme fear and just scarcity, a lot of times those that's not even about the thoughts making sense. A lot of times they don't. It's just you have to be able to let them come up. And then when the time is right to kind of be able to take a pin and pop the bubble so it can, you know, so it can fly away or it can, you know, fall to the ground or whatever. So I was really clear that I wanted to share my story because I'm like, you know, the story is really what happens when something happens that you didn't expect to happen. And how do you like, okay, I'm not the only person navigating this. And then, you know, sometimes there would be, I think it was 2015, maybe that I no, that can't be right. No, my father died in 2006 or 2007, not 2016. My father died in 2006. So I think it was like 2015. When I ended up having Angela Murray take photos, I was in the 15 under 40 for Atlanta of like designers and creatives that were, you know, shaking up the scene that year. And I remember the dress I had was this really beautiful sequin dress that I love and had tailored and it's so gorgeous, but the back of it was really low. And I remember kind of being deathly afraid because design is also very white. And I didn't grow up in the South, but I live in the South. So it's just very, you know, kind of nose up in the air. And I was selected, nominated and selected by the major design magazine here. And so I was definitely worried about showing up to the shoot and what were people going to think and say. And shooting with her was so amazing. She was my photographer. She was everybody's photographer for that entire article. And we had such a great experience. And I loved the photos when they came out that I ended up contacting her later that year to have her shoot my like New Year's photos. And then I had told her when we got to the shoot, okay, I think, you know, um, I have vitiligo on my body and I want to write a whole blog post about it. And I'm not really sure that I'm ready to do it, but let's just shoot all the other stuff. And at the end, if I'm ready, then I'm going to take my dress off. And I want to shoot, you know, like naked from the back. And so the photos are on my blog and I know they've been on Yahoo and a couple of different places now. So you can go online and see them. But that was a huge thing for me. And I knew that I needed to have the photos taken to be able to share my story of what had been going on that people didn't know about and what I had kind of been going through and all the thoughts that I was like facing and struggling with and all that kind of thing. And so that was my second rule, like, Having vitiligo made me get really clear that I didn't, whatever it is that I'm suffering through, I'm not a person who suffers in the dark. I didn't really know that before, but again, vitiligo showing up helped me to clearly define like, nah, you're not one of those people that's just going to not say anything and just, you know, ride off quietly to the sunset. I want to be able to be for other people what they were for me. And then you know, the third thing, which kind of goes, the third rule, which kind of goes along with the second one was normalizing, eh, I'll say kind of like normalizing my suffering, you know, in an empowering and honest way. There were so many emails and Facebook messages that I got from people that were like, and people who I knew here in Atlanta and people who run well-known businesses that were like, I've been suffering from this thing and didn't want to let 
you know, I haven't let anybody know. Nobody knows, excuse me, like maybe only my family or, you know, I've been so embarrassed and seeing you. Wow, I'm so inspired and blah, 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 bravo. Thanks for lighting the way. And there's so many women who reached out and men that weren't even in the city that were other places that, you know, I guess somebody may have Googled or somebody sent them the article, just different things. And I actually reconnected with somebody the other day that I was emailing back in 2016 that were just like, you know, I saw your photos and was blown away, or I read your story and was blown away. And I just found out I had vitiligo, or this has been going on, or I've been having a really tough time. Can we talk on the phone? Can we, you know, connect? Can we do X, Y, and Z? And so, again, walking through this process made me get really clear about the rules that I wanted to live by around how I experienced and lived with vitiligo. And then it was like, okay, so if you want to live by these, I'll just say those are three of the rules. So if you want to live by these three rules, then what that meant was that I was going to have to become my own authority. So the actual thought process was like, if these are the things you're going to want to live by, you better be clear that number one, people are not going to like it. Not not necessarily everybody, but there are going to be some people who are very turned off by it. They don't want to see your body. You know, I would get the photos that Angela took of me. I am topless. My back is facing the camera, but I'm topless. I have on black fishnet, black panties, like high-waisted panties and black fishnets and black heels, but I'm topless and I'm kind of like looking over my shoulder. There are people that were like, oh, you're naked on the internet. I'm like, I'm not naked on the internet. Like you literally saw my back, but that's probably like welcome to, you know, very prudish American culture. So it's like, all right, Dakey, you better get clear that there are going to be people who are not going to like it and are going to be turned off and are going to feel like it is too bold and taking up too much space. There are going to be people who are just going to be uncomfortable when you're having the conversation because again, and that's not about me, but recognizing that if you are uncomfortable sitting with your own shit, there is no way that you can create space to sit with mine. And the more I talk about my own pain, my vulnerability, you know, where I was really insecure, if that's not who you are, then it's going to start triggering your own stuff. And again, you're going to be uncomfortable. And so people aren't going to like that. And me also realizing that I was going to be really setting myself apart from others and that I was going to have to be okay with that, what that meant good and bad. And it's funny because now I look at the vitiligo and I think, and I feel like I was saying this to somebody last week, but you know, now I look at who I am and, you know, just kind of my trajectory and what I've done. And it's like, of course you would have vitiligo. Like God wanted to make sure that there was no part of you that could hide that wherever you went, you know, you would not be able to fit in and shrink. And so, and you know, that's one of the ways too, that I'm like, it's, you know, very kind of ironic and funny to me. And I laugh, but it became clear that, you know, if I wanted to live by those rules, then that was going to potentially cause these various reactions in people. And that means that you are going to have to become your own authority. And that is the big thing of like, to, to kind of give you the 30 second cliff notes version. That's the link between my experience with having and getting vitiligo and connecting that to self trust is like, after going through all those years and all the thoughts and meandering down that road, me realizing if you're going to really step into this the way that you want to, you're going to have to become your own authority. 
that means you are not going to be able to send the photos to your mother and see if she likes them. Your mother is not going to like them. My mother was horrified when they were on the internet. I did not tell her, nor did I show her ahead of time, because I knew that, um, I don't know that her opinion would have necessarily deterred me, but I know that it would have made me defensive. It would have irritated me. And it definitely probably would have put me in a place where, again, I was trying to defend my position instead of just doing what I thought was right. And there again, that's a self-trust thing. Like, you know, and I'm going to make a whole episode about this, but there is a difference between conveying and convincing. Convincing is I'm trying to get you to agree and get you to be on my side and understand and see why I did this. Conveying is this is what I'm doing. You know, I'm leaving at seven o'clock. Either you're here or you're not convincing is, well, I'm leaving at seven o'clock because I got to go do this and I got to do that because they need me here. Yeah, I'm not doing that. And so I had to also recognize where there were the relationships in my life and where there were not relationships in my life that could support me in becoming this version of myself and becoming the woman who I wanted to be, becoming the version of Deka who could walk through this experience the way that I wanted to. And my mom and I had conversation you know, years ago, a long time ago, and she was, you know, like, it's not that I don't love you and that I don't think you're beautiful. You have to understand I grew up in a different time. And I grew up in a time where this kind of thing wasn't celebrated and it was something that you covered up. And so, you know, I'm also understanding and respectful of her experience. I don't expect her just to get on my wavelength because this is my wavelength, but I do expect that, you know, I will be respected and all that kind of stuff. And we've never had an issue with that kind of thing. But I did, again, just have to really get clear that you are going to be walking some places alone. And there are going to be places that even, you know, Raquel, my best friend, some of it she might not understand, or some of it she might not agree with. And for me, then it constantly comes back to, you know, is this rule that you've chosen to live by, or this, what I want, this value that I've chosen to live by, is this really core for me? Is this something that I truly believe in? Does it feel deeply connected to my spirit? Do I feel like it's something that, you know, am I doing it to be seen or am I doing it because this is the fullest expression of who I am? No, me talking about my vitiligo experience, me showing my body, me being open to sharing with people and giving them, you know, the ointment that I use for my face or telling them how the light therapy worked or didn't work for me. That's not about me being seen. That really is about I want to be what I wanted to have at the time when it happened for me or when I first started noticing it on my body. And I have a fundamental belief that, you know, I, I, I kind of call it like a lighthouse theory, like we are here to be lighthouses for each other. And not everybody takes on that yoke, but I wholeheartedly and excitedly do because I believe that all of us face many a storm during the course of our lives. And when you're out in the shore, there is always a person or an organization or something that acts as a lighthouse for you that turns the light on and helps you make it from the middle of the ocean to the shore. And I do believe that it's our job that when we get to the shore, you dry off when you're in a firm place, then you now become the lighthouse for the next person. And that's something that I firmly, firmly, firmly believe in. Even if my mother doesn't, even if Raquel didn't, and Raquel and I don't really disagree like that, but just for sake of saying, like, even if, you know, the person that I'm closest to doesn't, even if other friends don't, it's like, yeah, I'm willing to take on the yoke of being my own authority. And so that is where, you know, I think self-trust is 
again, we get into people pleasing and over functioning and indecision. There's so many things that happen that really take us out of alignment when we don't trust ourselves. And don't get me wrong, self trust is not a one and done thing. It is not, you know, put it in the oven 45 minutes, pop it out, it'll be hot and bubbly, 350. That's not what it is. Self trust is, especially when it is, um, it's part of the self inquiry process. So you are continuing to peel back layers of the onion. You never get there. It, your work is never done. You never get there. The work is never done. There's always something more to explore. And at the core of that is it should be explored from a place of empowerment where you are making decisions and coming up with your own personal constitution based on what you truly believe and not what you are trying to do so that other people can like you. Not only bringing a fraction of yourself to the table because you're more desperate to be liked than you are to be real. That's playing small. Because you are chasing some kind of external success trying to be significant to other people. You're still trying to get that kind of external validation that you're smart, you've got the degree, or somebody granted you the title of vice president versus you finding a way to be significant and matter to yourself. And then saying, you know, whoever comes and showers me with the praise or showers me with the acknowledgement and recognition is great. But even if I don't get it from them, I'm okay because I already gave it to myself. So that for me is like the core, core, core of what it means to trust yourself. It also means to like value your own opinion. And even the whole thing is like, you might feel something deeply, strongly, deeply in your soul, your intuition, and you might make that decision. And maybe you aren't right. Maybe it didn't turn out the way that you thought it would. For me, there's two things. There is number one, knowing that, you know, as spiritual beings and human bodies, we are playing a long game. So what might look like you know, a loss now is actually probably the setup for another kind of win. And the second point is that you trust that even if I get myself in some shit, I can get out. And that's how I think about, you know, myself when I travel overseas and people always want to know about me traveling alone and, you know, what I'm doing and where I go because I'm not the Marriott tour guide at my side, you know, do all the touristy things person. I'm, I want to live in the neighborhood and you know, just kind of walk around and stumble around and show up here and show up there. And yeah, it absolutely pushes me out of my comfort zone. There's no, you know, partner, no husband to call if I get in some kind of problem, some kind of jam. I'm not with a girlfriend, but I also, it always deepens my sense of trust in myself because I firmly believe that, you know, I take as much precaution as I can on the front. And I know that if, you know, God forbid something happens where I end up in a bind. Okay, you've got enough wherewithal, you have enough smarts, you're capable and able to figure out the next step when it comes. And so that, again, is one of those things of if we are not, we are trusting something, you're either trusting yourself, or you're trusting something outside of yourself. And for me, you know, again, this kind of whole season and the whole podcast and all my work, especially for women is really around where are we over-functioning, people-pleasing, incredibly indecisive, holding on to old stories and playing small, or committing to performing and, you know, false ideas of perfection and being inauthentic 
all because we're trying to follow a script that does not belong to us. You have not made yourself the authority. So you want your boss, your parents, your mother, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your wife, whoever it is to approve and to validate you. And that is always, always, always going to be the setup for failure. So yeah, again, for me, I am, you know, I'm 41 at this point and I am constantly learning and growing. And there are areas I was talking with a friend the other day and we were debating about, he was saying that he didn't think that one person was more evolved than the other. And I said, no, I definitely believe that some people are more evolved than others. But I think that it's not, again, a zero sum game. You can be very evolved in one area and have plenty of opportunities, you know, for growth, growth opportunities in another area. So it's not like, you know, if you're more evolved, you just get a hundred across the board. No, you've got a couple of hundreds in this area. And over here, it might be a 55 or a 75 or a 25. And so there are places that, you know, that we can grow. But for me, when I look back, Vitiligo was definitely, and again, there's always been a part of Deka who has been like this from the very, very beginning. So don't misunderstand me. But in terms of when I feel like I intentionally started to choose the woman that I wanted to become, I definitely think it started with my experience with Vitiligo and me having to decide who I wanted to be and how I was going to show up and getting really clear and accepting of the fact that, you know, some people aren't going to like it. And if you can't stand that storm, if you are uncomfortable with not being liked, then this is not going to be the journey for you. And because I am who I am, I could withstand all of that. So I decided to take this other path. The road less traveled has led me here. So hopefully that resonates with you guys. Hopefully you, I didn't really take a ton of notes. So hopefully as I meandered through, through my past, all of this made sense. But as always, thank you for listening and I'll be back soon. And if you want to email me your thoughts, I would love to hear them. I will leave my email in the show notes. Okay, talk soon. Bye.